Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live, the project's coordinator of the South African Depression and Anxiety Group is Roshni Parbu Sita, and we are in the middle of Teen Suicide Prevention Week, which is one of their projects, and I'd asked her to come on the platform to talk to me about this incredibly important initiative. The week gives us an opportunity to focus on it, but of course the underlying issues are enduring, and this should be a conversation the whole year round. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they share that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Roshni, good morning to you and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Eusebius. I want to start off with the mood we are in. You smiling, I'm smiling. It's sort of sunshiny for a couple of seconds outside. But the reality is that life is quite complex for us as human beings, and teenagers are no different, right? We could be sunny and convivial and cracking jokes as we did before the recording. But underneath it, a couple of months, couple of minutes, couple of weeks later, we can also find ourselves in a very gloomy space. Absolutely. I mean, you find that so many people are hiding behind those smiles and the cheers and the happiness and trying to be bubbly, trying to hide what they're actually feeling um, only because they don't want to burden somebody else with what they're actually feeling. Maybe thinking, oh, everybody has enough on their plate. Mm. Let me not put, you know. And so sometimes it is very just, you know, in the in the front. But yes, everyone is dealing with so much. If you think about what's going on around us, everyone's mm. dealing with so much, especially our teens. Our teens are in crisis. And that's why I wanted to start there, because the two starting premises for me, and they are pithy statements I want to make, but I want us to reflect on them. The first one is that living life is inherently difficult and challenging, and secondly, that teenage life is not this innocent, pressure-free freedom that sometimes adults misremember. I have a teenage son, and I remember sometimes thinking that, you know, or always thinking, I remember what it was like being young. I remember being a teenager, and life wasn't this difficult. Life, I didn't have the pressure that my kids have. You know, it was fun. You see, because I went home and I made mud cakes. That's what I did <laughs> after school. It wasn't a pressure to, you know, you have to play tennis and you have to do something else and you need to study and there's a project. It all just felt like when I'm at school, I'm at school. When I'm at home, I can do my homework. I can relax. We were being children and these kids, they have a lot more pressure these days than we did. Yeah. So let's talk directly about Teen Suicide Prevention Week then. I imagine taking my cue from your last answer, Roshni, 
that suicidation, thinking about suicide, attempting to die by suicide, completing an attempt, are realities that teenagers go through, not least because of these multiple pressures that are compounded by modernity, smart devices, the digital age that comes with new forms of bullying, new forms of mental health pressure, new forms of pressure in terms of being part of the in-group or not being part of the in-group on a social media platform, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many different things that these kids are dealing with. It's not just being depressed or having anxiety. Firstly, how many more kids nowadays actually have depression and are suffering from anxiety, you know? Um, But it's also the the concern over relationships, whether it's a relationship with your mom, your dad, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, um, your brother, your sister, relationships are all over the place with these teens. They're not sure how to deal with it. One Mm. of the reasons why we have Teen Suicide Prevention Week in February is because we try to make it fall during the Valentine's Day time because Mm. a lot of teens are struggling on Valentine's Day. You know, they don't feel that love that they are expecting. You know, the expectations. Also with COVID, I mean, Mm. I've told you before that before COVID, SEDEC was receiving 600 calls a day. Mm. During COVID, that became 3,000 calls a day. Hmm. One in four of those calls are kids and are are suicide related, Hmm. you know? And you were saying that, you know, what signs are there? What symptoms are there? And so many more of them are are talking about it. But the reality is that just over eight out of 10 of them are actually preventable. They've given us some sign that I am feeling suicidal. They've said something. They've done something. And often as adults, because we grew up the way we grew up, we're like, what are you so stressed about? What pressure do you have? You just have to go to school and come back. You know, I'm the one paying the bills. I'm the one going to work. You don't have to pay for your school fees. But what we don't realize is by them saying that, they were reaching out for help. And we need to make sure not to diminish those feelings. Because once we do diminish those feelings, Mm. they're not going to talk to us again. That's right, Jan. And for me... I think we come to the crux of the practical challenge where we need to empower guardians, older siblings, parents, teachers, mentors. Because yesterday I was driving with my partner from Linden back to where we live, and we drove past a school and a bunch of teenagers were crossing the road. And I had a fleeting moment, Roshni, where I thought to myself, As an adult, we often infantilize teenagers because I look at them and I think you're young. They probably were about 14, 15. I don't project onto them complicated psychologies, complicated conversations they're having with themselves and with each other. And yet as they were speaking to each other, I had a brief recollection where I checked myself when I had that thought of infantilizing them. And I thought, but when you were in grade nine, grade 10, there were a lot of things that loomed very large in your life as a 14 or 15 year old from your teenage subjective vantage point. And yet as adults, we kind of forget how complicated 
messy and how filled the brain and the psychologies of teenagers are, which is why we think that their life must be very simple. And then we can misread the cues. 100%. We completely misread the cues. We completely think you have nothing to complain about. And especially with teenagers and 14, 15 years, oh, it's just the mood swings. You know, you it's it's you have nothing to complain about. You'll you'll realize when you're my age, you know? And <laughs> but if you go back and and I'm learning this with my son, is that what he has going on in his brain, I never had going on in my brain at 14 and 15. You know, they're dealing with with so many different issues. They're dealing with death of a loved one after uh, COVID. You know, when I was young, young people were only dying from a few things. There was maybe one car accident. There was Mm -hmm. one that died from cancer. And now you're constantly hearing of younger people that are dying and for Mm -hmm. different reasons. And they have to deal with the reality of death, you know, and also the reality of, oh, mom will be here, but she won't always be here. Mm. Dad won't always be here. They seem to be thinking so far ahead. And unfortunately, they have to. Mm. And that's what COVID has also done. Mm. It's made them realize the reality of death and dying. That's such a good point. That's a really, really important point. They don't just deal with today. And unfortunately, you know, when we were young, we could look into our five-year plan. Mm. These poor kids have to like literally take it day by day. Yeah, I mean, Roshni, so even though I'm on the same page as you, I've got to ask this question nevertheless. There surely is an element of a child being a child, a teenager being a teenager. I mean, we'd have the same conversation if we were talking about adults, right? There is still, and who knows how long a piece of string is, but there is a difference between going through a bad patch and say, for example, being clinically anxious or depressed or your GP recommending that you go and see a psychotherapist or a psychologist or at least a counsellor to, to have another look and see whether you need some cognitive or some other kind of therapeutic intervention. That can be the difficult gray area, though. For moms, dads, teachers who are listening, what is the kind of messaging from a public health point of view that SEDEC has? How do I know whether Eusebius is just an introvert who lives in his head or whether he's actually someone that maybe should be sent to the school psychologist? So what we say is mental health doesn't discriminate. It will get anyone. You could be the happiest person and it'll take one life event to trigger you. You know, what we are saying, also another really important point that Sereg wants to get across is that we don't all have the answers. You can be a mom, you can be a dad, you can be a teacher. You might not know what the answer is. So this kid might actually come to you and say, I am feeling depressed, I am feeling suicidal, and you don't know what to do. And it's okay to say, I am so sorry you are feeling that way. I don't know how to help you, but I know someone who can. Let's do this together. What they really need is just a team, a team or an idea. Our kids are so spontaneous. These kids are so spontaneous, and they do things at a womb. They don't think further, you know? And so we want to open up that conversation. I think that's the most important message we want to get to everyone. Whether you are a teen, whether you are a friend, whether you are a mom or or dad, just talk about it. Normalize the conversation of what, name one thing that made you happy today and name one thing that made you sad today. And let that be a conversation every day. You know, that way you, you are also opening up the conversation and these kids think, 
Okay, she actually asks me, I'm not going to say anything today. Let's see if she asks again tomorrow. And then they realize, okay, this must be important. Now let me catch you and let me give you something. And how are you going to deal with it? You know, it's important that these kids know that suicide shouldn't be um, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. These problems are temporary and there is hope. There is always a way to solve it. You know, unfortunately, they feel like they are walking through this really dark tunnel and they can't see the light. And instead of walking towards finding where the answers are, they think I'm done with this dark tunnel. Okay, okay. You know? that that dovetails with one of the two of the hashtags around this campaign. Hashtag check in, hashtag check in with SADAG, S-A-D-A-G. So the idea there is we don't have a magic wand. A tragedy, lo and behold, could happen, but we can reduce the odds. And one of the ways to reduce the odds is to engender a culture in the family, in your one-on-one -on -one relationship as a teacher that a particular student likes, even if he doesn't like other teachers, or as a leader of the school, getting your teachers in turn as a cohort to create a space where the learners, the pupils, the students feel safe enough to wait and and voice what they are feeling. That is what check-in is all about, isn't it? 100%. Check-in is basically ask those questions. It's safer to ask than not ask at all. So ask those questions. Are you feeling okay? Is there something that's worrying you? Is there something you want to talk to me about? Ask the questions. And I know that there's this whole myth that if we speak about suicide, we are giving them the, the idea. And that's a complete myth. There is no research to back that up. By saying to them that, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Okay, fine. You don't want to use the word suicide. Say, are you thinking of hurting yourself? You know, open up that conversation. You will find that the teen will be so relieved to have someone that actually sees that, okay, I'm struggling. And that's why they've asked me this question. So check in, check in with, check in with them, check in with your mom, check in with your dad, check in with your friend. You know, it's not just teens that we are worried about. We are worried about everybody's mental health. And oftentimes you'll find that the person that committed suicide had a problem that could have been easily solved. It's just that they didn't know how to do it. And this is why I wanted us to have the conversation this practically, Roshni, um, because I think this is the level of absolute elementary and yet life-saving messaging that we need to be talking about, speak into and publish and proselytize across media platforms. I met earlier with someone for a different part of my work and the person apologized for having cried the first time they had shared a story with me. And I had to reassure them that it's perfectly okay. They shouldn't apologize for emoting. Besides not having a culture of speaking openly about feelings that makes it easier for your teenagers to say, mom, I'm not feeling okay today. I don't want to go to ballet. I'm actually, I'm not feeling okay. We need to role model what we didn't necessarily experience ourselves when we were children. Many adults listening to this conversation may not have mem memories, uh, Roshni, of parents or adults or, or teachers opening up a space for them to literally start a sentence with, I'm feeling, or emotion is what I'm feeling right now. We don't have that 
literacy and that openness as adults. And what's difficult about Teen Suicide Prevention Week is that in some ways, broken, vulnerable adults have the task of role modeling what we didn't experience. How much of this week is indirectly about adults checking in with adults? All of it, all of it. So the, the tips and the tools and the messaging is the same for teens as it is for adults, you know? And that's why we, with all the activities that we have going on, on Facebook, Twitter, it's messaging that you, you it might help you with your teen, but you'll realize, oh, I think my friend might need a check-in. I think we've had celebrities that have come to the call center and said to us, I checked in with a friend and yes, she needed help, you know? So just something as catchy as checking in also creates a safe space. And that's what these kids need. They need a safe space. I know culturally, culturally, there's so many cultures where you don't talk about your emotions. You don't cry when you say it and you don't tell us when you're happy. You just get on with it, you know? And our times have changed and we need to move on and we need to adjust in order to help these teens that are in crisis, in order to help that anyone that's in crisis. So if I say a teen's behavior is different from what it normally is, I'm saying in general, if you have a friend, if you have an adult, a mom, a dad, who always used to be very happy, very bubbly, and is now suddenly withdrawing, doesn't socialize as much, you need to ask yourself, why? Why are they doing that? You know, why are they sleeping so much? Or why are they sleeping a lot less? Why no. have they stopped eating? Or why are they eating a lot more? So the message is general. Yes, we say Teen Suicide Prevention Week, but the tips and the tools and the messages that you are getting mm. is for everyone. Absolutely. There are three more things I want to explore, but just to hit the pause button about 70% in. So a couple of tips you've heard from Roshni so far. Really, really important that we check in. That is about engendering a culture of speaking openly but also asking habitually how teenagers are in your life. Could be a conversation starter on the way from school back home and be intentional about what you ask. We often ask, how was school, my boy? But that's a different framing to how are you feeling? And to be explicit in using the language around emotion. And then, of course, the second tip is that you need to give yourself permission to also check in with yourself and with other adults. And I think that's really, really important. The cultural stuff I'm going to come to a little bit later, but I wanted to ask this question related to creating a culture of checking in. And it has to do, again, with seemingly simple things that can have massive returns, even though they're simple and don't require a lot of expending of certainly material resources, just learning how to do it linguistically and how to do it emotionally. We don't always role model what we tell teenagers to do. You know, in writing, there's this tip that we give writers who start out. Don't tell, show. And the same goes for this conversation around checking in. Sometimes your teenager is washing the dishes, if they still do, while Roshni and Eusebius is sitting in the lounge 
or Roshni and Eusebius are both at home recording in Zoom right now, and there may be a teenager upstairs, they catch our conversation. How important is it, Roshni, that we role model and not just tell teenagers that we are available? So important. It's so important. So, you know, before you you just do what you were told to do. And now you need to lead by example. You know, I'm again, I'm going to use a personal example. I myself speak to, to my kids about being anxious. When I started work again, I said, I am so nervous to do that, you know, and it made them understand that being nervous was okay. Being anxious was okay. You know, I had my kids saying to me, mommy, you are amazing. You are going to be great. You can do this. And then I realized, okay, the next time that they are anxious, I need to remember that. Mom, my son, you are amazing. You can do this, you know? And, but they also know that there's days when I do feel sad. You know, there's certain things that will make me feel sad. And by doing that, they realize that that's an okay feeling to have. My mom has it and she got through it. You know, there'll be times when you don't have those finances to go on a fancy holiday or to yeah. buy something. But yeah. when you are older, my child, you'll remember, oh, when mom and dad went through this, this is how they got through it. Absolutely. And yes, they did get through it. Mm -hmm. So leading by example is so important. You, as a parent, you cannot just say you will do it because I said so. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to show mm -hmm. them that everything is a learning experience. Absolutely. The second last thing I wanted us to reflect on are some of the cultural stuff. As I said to you yesterday, even the word suicide is difficult for people to utter. They prefer euphemisms or to talk about challenges that are adjacent to suicidality, but that don't land as, in heavy scare quotes, awkwardly. We've become more comfortable using words like mental health challenges. And some suicide results from mental health challenges, but not all of them just as not everyone who has a mental health illness or difficulty or challenge is going to suffer suicide ideation. But we avoid that particular word. And I think there are so many different cultural, religious stuff that explains our sensitivity. The messaging that life is intrinsically worthwhile and anyone who wrestles with living is clearly not valuing something that they should value as a matter of deep commitment to God or Allah or to whatever their deity might be. I mean, I was raised Catholic in my church, unless the policy had changed since I became an agnostic. If you died by suicide, you weren't allowed a mass as part of your burial. So these broader social elements are an added layer in terms of context within which we have to deal with suicide. I have two or three friends who've lost their children to suicide, and it's enormously difficult because there's silent, false messaging that maybe you weren't a good enough parent or older sibling, you should have seen the signs. Speak to me about how those silent messages that have got a social or religious or cultural underpinning make the work so much harder for us all. It creates that stigma. You know, not speaking about it, pretending like it doesn't exist, creates that stigma. We are not allowed to talk about it. You know, and it still exists. You don't speak about your emotions. You don't cry. You get on with it. Move on. And 
the stigma is what is stopping these kids from speaking about it. Being open and, and mostly educating yourself and making yourself first understand that it is an illness. Mm-hmm. It's a real illness. It's okay to feel. Do we stigmatize cancer? Do we stigmatize diabetes? We don't. And yet it's the exact same thing. You take a pill, you see a therapist, you make sure your health is kept in check. There's a few extra things you do. You exercise, you eat healthy. But the the underpinning message is we don't talk about it. You are not allowed to feel that way. Mm. You know, and we have to become a lot gentler. Absolutely. And sometimes it's hard. It's harder for the more old school people to to adhere to. And that's okay, because that's what we are here for. That's what Sarek is here for. Mm-hmm. Let us help your child. So while you may not be able to help them, that is okay. You don't have to have those answers, but we do. So allow them the space to speak to us. Allow them the space to speak to a teacher that they may feel comfortable with. And so I would also add to that, Roshni. I mean, I, you know, my listeners know that I challenge them, right? So I think you're right. I mean, you're you're putting it beautifully and word perfectly and tone perfectly. But I want to go a step further. Um, and my apologies for butting in there, but I think it's important here to 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 challenge that old school person, our generations and older, and say the following: that sometimes, if we are honest, as you're speaking about the old school attitudes. I immediately think of the way in which even my friends my age and older who've got children or teenagers or going to university now already will say, you know, these woke kids in my day, dot, dot, dot. Actually, we sit with a lot of developmental trauma, deep cellular level. We become horrible work colleagues, lovers, husbands, wives, and we, have, we romanticize the trauma that we keep instead of realizing that we have an opportunity to reset the cultural axes with our children. 100%. And I mean, you know, if you allow your child that space, you can even heal yourself. You're giving your space, yourself that space to talk, yourself that space to heal, because you probably thought, I'm not allowed to talk about it. I said yes. to deal with it. It's never too late to speak about it, mm. you know? Mm. And... Uh, and to it's lie okay. to ourselves, you know, to say that I was resilient. There is such a thing as resilience. And then there is abuse that we romanticize by saying it made me tougher. Right. And and that's not the truth. It it You think it made you tougher, but it left you with a lot of resentment and regret. And you are making those same mistakes. And you don't want to have that regret that no. had I done something differently to what my parents done with my with my own kid, Mm. I wouldn't be dealing with a suicide or suicidal ideation. You know, so you have that power to change it. And to be honest, we've had this week, we've had religious radio stations asking us for interviews, which, you know, we've had in the past, but not as much as Mm. you normally People are opening up. They're realizing that this is a reality. And I don't want to live the regret with losing, regret of losing my kid. That's true. So if I can speak to them about it, I will find someone to speak to them about it. But yes, you're yeah, right. Absolutely. You can also heal by speaking about it. Last question is a practical one. If someone is feeling vulnerable, having suicide thoughts right now, are there resources available that they can use, reach out to, uh, to have a conversation, to get assistance? 
Absolutely. We have so many ways that you can reach SEDEC. So if you want to speak to a counselor, we have two helplines that you can call. It's 0800-567-567 or 0800-456-789. If you don't want to speak to someone and you prefer to SMS, you can SMS us on 31393. We have a suicide toolkit, help like a help toolkit on our website, which is sedecdoc.org. But what is really nice is that this week we're going to be doing so much on social media. So there are Zoom chats, there are Twitter spaces, there's a Facebook Friday with experts. All that information is on our website. Um, and if you are a parent and you don't know what to do, reach out to us. We'll help you. Let's give that toll free number again. So it's 0800-567-567. The 24-hour helpline is 800 Four five six seven eight nine. That's beautiful, and we'll continue tweeting and retweeting about this. You can follow my account, but also go to Sadek on Twitter, and you will see it digitally archived there. The posters, disseminate them to other people that may not be listening to the podcast, and make sure that um, they get all this information. Share this podcast, and it may just save a life not just that of a teenager, but as is always the case speaking for me, even when I mentor my mentees, I secretly check in with myself because we have to remind ourselves of the same messaging that we have to hand down to our children so that they can be well-adjusted adults. Roshni, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. And thank you for the great work that you guys do with little resources. And I can only hope that government the Department of Health in particular will give money for this kind of initiative and also that big business will reach out to me or Times Live or Sunday Times, get your details because you are doing almost at the Lord's work, but there's no evidence that he exists. You are doing important work. <laughs> so big business must come on board. And I often say, as I did in an article the other day, you should come on board not only for ethical reasons, but for selfish reasons. If you want healthy employees, then you have to invest in public health services that increase the chances that you are not going to be hiring a sociopath. And the only way to do so is to make sure that we raise teenagers that are healthy. And so it's worth investing as a matter of ethics, but also prudence into organizations like the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for everything you have done for us, Eusebius.